0: going to talk about living between two advents, or living between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus Christ into the world, and how we are to live in that space in between those times. This morning is in no way to detract from the importance, the joy, the significance of His first coming, but it is to actually give us a greater and deeper appreciation for it and all that will come about as a result of that. On the day Jesus was born, the angel said, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Today, a Savior has been born to you. So, the angel's logic is this. We have great joy because our Savior has been born. And yet, the birth of Jesus only began the work of our salvation. His birth led on to his sinless life. His death on the cross, his resurrection, all things vital and necessary for our salvation. But the full glorious outcome of our salvation will happen when Jesus comes the second time or the second advent. Hebrews 9.28, Christ will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Which clearly implies that there's something yet to happen or to be completed for your salvation and mine. The birth of Jesus brings the thrill of hope. It's one of my favorite lines from all the Christmas songs. The thrill of hope. We sing about that. And we have that. But the second coming of Jesus brings the fulfillment of that hope. We have great joy because his birth set events in motion. We have great joy at his birth. Specifically because his birth set in events in motion. That would save us from the hopeless misery of our sin and our alienation from God. But we also have great joy at his birth because his birth came with the promise of a new world. uh, A world no longer under the curse. A world without tears. It came with the promise of peace on earth under the reign of Christ. The hopes and dreams... And joy, stirred by his birth, will ultimately be fulfilled when Jesus appears again. And so today we're going to look at the reality of living between the birth of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. I'm sorry that we got the passage wrong. It's my fault. I take the blame for that. But it's the next passage that I was going to teach on anyway in 2 Thessalonians. It was just up next. And I stayed with it because I thought it was so appropriate to tie that in with the first advent, the first coming, and relate it to the second coming and how important it is that we understand how we are to live in between those two times. Many Christians live defeated and disillusioned lives because they do not understand the times in which we live. We celebrate and rejoice in the birth of Christ and the salvation he brought us. We do. We should live right now, celebrate unrestrained the birth of Jesus and the salvation that we have in and through uh, the, the things that he accomplished by coming to live here among us and again to live and die on our behalf. We live now with the joy of our sins forgiven and being accepted by our Father in heaven. Uh, We live now with the joy and the peace of the Holy Spirit. And we see the mercies and the goodness and the favor of God upon us every day, everywhere we go. And yet, we yearn, we groan, we wait for more. We live in the tension of having our salvation, but not having all of it yet. If you expect circumstances to be picture perfect, and because of that expectation, you get easily angered, or frustrated when things go wrong, whether at work or with a project at home or with anything, you're really demanding something from this life that just isn't there yet. Cindy would brush off many problems, many things that would go wrong by saying, well, this isn't heaven yet. One of her favorite sayings. That was her way of having peace in our present imperfection. It was also her way of turning everyday disappointments into an eager expectation of heaven where things will be perfect. And I assure you, nobody wanted things more perfect in this life than Cindy. But she was not a grumpy perfectionist. She was not an unhappy, bitter perfectionist because she understand, understood that what we are all longing for isn't here yet. If you've been with us here at Real Life Church, and especially on the Sundays that I've taught for the last couple of months or more, we've been studying this small group of persecuted, afflicted, suffering believers at Thessalonica. And their experience of persecution was much more severe than ours is, at least for right now. But nevertheless, we are in the same general situations. We, like them, are living between the two advents, between the coming, the birth of Jesus and his coming again. So, like the Thessalonians that we've studied, and I hope you've got a little bit of, 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 of a picture and a, even a sense of sympathy and empathy for them and the suffering and persecution and trials that they were going through, uh, Their experience, their experience with persecution was much more severe than, than ours, but nevertheless, we are in the same situation. We are a people still under pressure, still experiencing opposition, still weeping at times, and still experiencing disappointment and even death. But we wait with joy. Paul told the Thessalonians to rejoice always. And we have joy in our present distress, not because of how things are going for us in this present time. Mainly, our joy is based on looking back at the first advent and all that Jesus accomplished for us there and looking forward to the second advent. And that's basically how we live our lives. We live rejoicing in, in Christ and all that has been accomplished for us and looking forward to all that is coming our way. So we do have joy in this present distress because Christ has come. Our salvation is fully underway. And we have joy because our salvation will culminate in the full and final release of all our suffering and pain and death when Jesus comes again. And so we wait in this present time with joy and with hope And with anticipation. Back in the first book of Thessalonians. In chapter 1. At the end of the first chapter. Paul said that the Thessalonians turned from idols. To serve the living God. And to wait for his son from heaven. That is Jesus who saves us from the wrath to come. Their eyes were on the second advent. Their eyes were on the glories of the second advent of Jesus Christ. And the fact that Jesus would. Save them from wrath and also bring them into a state of glorification or or that his glory would be put into them, as we're going to see. And Paul taught them to live that way. He taught them to live with their focus on the coming glory of the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. Paul saw the second advent to be the total and final answer to life. It's the one comfort... He gave them in their severe affliction. I mean, these guys are persecuted. We've, we've talked about that. We've read the passages in Acts, how people were beating down their doors, trying to drag them out into the streets. They were trying to th- throw them in prison. Paul had to flee for his life uh, from the city because of how severe and, and outward and overt the persecution was. And they were, they were living that. And Paul gave them the hope of the second coming of Christ As the one comfort in their severe affliction. The thing that would keep them in this state of joy and hope and anticipation. He could have just said, hey guys, uh, stay positive. Or, you know, there's a silver lining behind every cloud. Or, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Or something like that. But his answer was none of that kind of fluff. His answer for them was, Jesus is coming again from heaven to give you relief from your enemies and to glorify you. He gave them the solid truth of Jesus coming again as the reason for joy and hope. And anything else that you try to ground your hope and and joy in will completely fail you and let you down. The only thing that is going to keep you optimistic, hopeful, uh, anticipating, The future, looking forward, smiling at the future, uh, full of joy, is this solid, unshakable truth that Jesus is coming again from heaven to fix everything, make everything right, and usher in the the fulfillment of his kingdom. Uh, There's one commentator that I read a long time ago, and I wrote this down a long time ago, so I don't know who said it actually, but he said there's a one-word answer to suffering and evil. And that one word answer is wait. Wait for God's justice and glory to be revealed. That's how we ultimately cope with suffering and death and even the present hostility toward Jesus. The hostility that the Thessalonians experience and that we experience in measure. That's how we cope with the evil pressing in upon us in our culture today. We wait for his son to come from heaven. It's not the only thing we do but it is the, the main thing we do. It's, it's our main hope that Jesus will come from heaven and he will judge his enemies and glorify and save his people. Now, I think it's important, and obviously I do think it's important, important, or I wouldn't have taken a whole Sunday morning to talk about this. I think it's important for us to connect the two advents because we have two comings, but one Savior. One Lord Jesus Christ. The same Jesus born in a manger is the same Jesus who is coming again in glory and in power. And with his mighty angels, as, as Paul describes here in Second Thessalonians chapter 1. And the Jesus, the same Jesus who was born in the manger is the same Jesus who's got the power to judge and the power to save his people. And we see that beautifully and powerfully demonstrated in this passage that we read this morning. A pastor I read actually just this morning said we can domesticate the first advent because Christmas is about babies and we know about babies and we can figure out how to manage christmas so that the little lord jesus asleep on the hay doesn't scare anybody but we can't do that with the second coming the coming of jesus as baby as a baby is a precious thing okay i mean we should focus on that there's something sweet and beautiful and absolutely astonishing about the god of the universe stepping into our world as a baby and we should think about that and dwell on that but we also need to see jesus Fully revealed when he comes again. CSO said something like, "The second coming is is Jesus," or excuse me, he said. C.S. said something like, "The the second coming is God coming without disguise. It's Jesus fully revealed. His second coming is necessary to fulfill the goal of his." first coming. All that God purposed in the birth of Jesus will be consummated when he comes again. Uh, We see this perhaps best in the prophets. Uh, They saw his birth. They prophesied his birth. They also saw Christ as ruler of nations. Christ as conquering king and judge. And it's often all rolled into one prophecy. The one that we just read. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end, Isaiah 9.6. We know that passage. I don't know if you know the context of it or not. I taught on it once, several Christmases ago. But the verses right before this describe the present, time, present as a time of war and conflict and gloom and despair. But in that prophecy, God shatters his enemies and ushers in this day of unspeakable, incredible joy and eternal peace, for unto us a child is born. We start with just for unto us a child is born, and we don't even look at that at, at, at how, what he's born for. But Isaiah does tell us. This, this great victory over uh, all the, the enemies their enemies and the enemies enemies of god is going to happen because a child is born the child to be born is the is the answer to the conflict the sin the gloom the despair the fulfillment begins with his birth and it will be or it will have complete fulfillment when he comes again the universal government of peace And righteousness will be established on the earth forever and ever. It really will. It actually will. Those who reject him will be judged. The saints will be resurrected and glorified. The earth will be made new. Uh, Tears and sorrow and death and sadness will no longer be a part of our lives. Randy Alcorn said, Misery has an expiration date. Happiness is never ending. For believers and it's so true for us our misery has an expiration date God we don't know what that date is but God has put a date that's going to end our misery and sorrow and death and gloom the joy and the peace that began at the birth of Jesus will break forth in fullness when he comes again Isaiah fifty-five eleven. those the Lord has rescued will return. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrows and sighing will flee away. The, the expiration date for all sorrow for believers is the day Jesus Christ appears again from, from heaven. And certainly, in a sense, we, ha- we participate in that now. But mainly we participate in that now by pulling our joy our joy from the future down into the present through faith and through hope and our expectation and this certainty that we know that Jesus is coming again and restore and fix and make all things right. All right, let's get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I hope, I know it's not in your bulletin, but I hope you'll follow along with me or look at it in your Bibles and study it. It's a really important passage. So here... In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we are given an awesome description of that day. Of that day when Christ returns. And we see in this passage a mighty and a victorious Lord Jesus Christ coming with majestic glory, dealing out retribution to his enemies and bringing relief and glory and salvation for those who believe. Verse 6, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. This will take place when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is presented as a stunning, unspeakably amazing, glorious day. Uh, Jesus himself said, all will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds and po- with power and great glory. But there's two elements of that day. There's an element of judgment and an element of salvation. And... Nearly all of the prophecies about Jesus' birth, if you pay attention to them, also bring in this strong element of the judgment of God's enemies and of the salvation and safety for God's people. And I could go through a lot of them, but I am gonna take a couple. Uh, In Mary's song, we looked at a couple weeks ago, Mary sees in the birth of her son God's mercy on her and on all Who fear the Lord. But she also sees the scattering of the proud whose hearts are lifted up against the Lord. She proclaims God bringing the rulers of the earth down from their thrones and exalting the humble. And I'm sure there's present day application to that, but I think ultimately, it seems to me anyway, that Mary is singing about the future when God's justice will be fully realized through her son Jesus Christ. Speaking about the birth of Jesus, Zechariah said in Luke chapter 1, He, God, the Lord, has raised up a horn of salvation for us, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy on our fathers, to grant deliverance from hostile hands, that we may serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. To me, that sounds a lot like Thessalonians chapter 1. There actually are enemies of God and of God's message. Paul said there are many enemies of the cross. Uh, There is hostility toward Jesus and those who followed Jesus. The Thessalonians knew that because they experienced it firsthand in a big way. But it's there, even in our culture, in the world. The general disposition of the world throughout all the centuries and certainly today Today, The general disposition of the world is opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it is spiritually naive to not see the underlying hatred for God's son and God's laws and God's message in our world today and our culture today. And I believe it is totally the grace and the mercy of God that we are living as peacefully as we are as we are. I believe if wicked men, unbelievers, were unrestrained today, we would be fleeing for our lives right here in Ankeny, just like what happened in Thessalonica and a lot of the New Testament churches. Jesus will come back, Paul said, with his mighty angels in flaming fire, verse 6, to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted. Uh, Paul told the Thessalonians this to encourage them. When there's a mob outside your door beating, trying to beat down your door, uh, trying to attack you or drag you out into the street, or if you were being threatened, if your life and your wife and your kids were being threatened, it's it's a good thing to know that God is on your side. And that God will be faithful to vindicate his people and to deal with their persecutors. This passage clearly communicates that we do not serve a weak God or a weak Lord Jesus Christ. We serve a God who will save us from our adversaries. Uh, He has the power. The Lord Jesus Christ has the power to judge to deal out retribution, as it says, he has, and he has the power to save his people. He has the power and the will to impose peace on earth. When I was a much younger person, we used to sit in a lunchroom at a place where I worked. My dad was an administrator at Valley View Village here in Des Moines for years, and there was a, the, the guy that ran the maintenance department who I worked for, his name was Gunnar Vignaroli, and he was an Italian Roman Catholic to the core. But we'd have a lot of political discussions in that lunchroom and uh, Gunnar Vignaroli would always end them by saying, there is no government that will ever work on this earth except a dictatorship and there will never be peace on earth until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to rule the nations with a rod of iron. You know, there's a lot of truth in that for whatever other things he might not have seen uh, there's an awful lot of truth in that. Isaiah 35, 4-6. through six, Say to those with anxious hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And that was essentially Paul's message to the Thessalonians, isn't it? Very, very much a parallel passage. Uh, essentially, Paul's message to these believers and to us is... To hold fast. Help is on the way. When it seems like all hell is breaking loose, Jesus is coming. Jesus will come to save the day. So wait and hope and do not fear. Be confident, live strong. Do not be anxious in your heart. And Paul makes the point in verse six that God is just to repay them with affliction. Uh, God will repay all evil because it is the just or the right thing to do. They do not believe God. They, do, they refuse to obey the gospel. They do not know God. And on top of that, they're making life miserable for the Christians at Thessalonica. Walter Martin said years ago, we preach Jesus and the gospel of grace and love. But if they will not have it, they will receive the justice of God. It's grace and love or it is the Lord Jesus Christ dealing out retribution. That's not what I say. That's what the Bible says. That's what Paul makes clear in this passage. Verse nine, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Uh, the, The essence of judgment of unbelievers, of the wicked, will be eternal separation from the presence and the glory of God. And that's a consistent message throughout the Bible. In the book of Revelation, uh, you, you see the emphasis that those who love falsehood, the unbelieving and the immoral and the liars and all of that group, it says, will not enter the new heavens and the new earth. And whatever else hell is, it is being excluded from the eternal joy of being with God and, and enjoying his, his presence and his glory forever and ever. But the second advent, the second coming of Jesus will be completely different for believers. It will be a day of unspeakable glory for us. Verse 10, this will happen when, the, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among those who have believed Because our testimony to you was believed. He will be glorified on that day in his saints. And we've learned from other passages how when when the Lord Jesus Christ appears with a shout from heaven. That will be the day that we ourselves are resurrected and have received glorified bodies. In in this passage Paul uh, makes the emphasis on it that he will be glorified in us. He will be glorified in his saints. What what an astonishing thing. Uh, Not only will you see Christ's glory, his glory will be placed or put in you. Uh, When we see him, we will be like him. We will share his glory. Charles Spurgeon on this passage said, Every saint will be a wonder to himself. He will say, I thought my joy would be great, but not like this. How glorious is my Lord who's perform, performed this miracle upon me. In other words, you will be so full of glory that you will find it difficult to believe that it is really you on the day that Jesus Christ comes to be glorified in his saints. And we will also see the glory of Christ in each other. Again, Spurgeon, I quote, the saints will also admire Christ in one another. You will be free from all envy there, and therefore you will rejoice in all the beauty of your fellow saints. You will see the Lord Jesus Christ in all your brothers and sisters, and that will, this will make you praise and adore him with a perpetual amazement and ever-growing delight. Alexander McLaren, the old Scottish preacher I often quote, on that day when he comes to be glorified into saints, he makes us glorious by imparting to us the brilliant light and the flashing beauty of his own perfect character. Then his glorious light streaming out from our redeemed bodies will result in praise and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ before the whole universe. And all this Paul said because our testimony to you is believed. Not because you or me, or you or I, are anything special. Uh, it's not because we've somehow worked this up on our own. This is because of the grace of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That He Himself will be glorified in us, He will share His glory with us. And we will be stunned by the power and the glory of the Lord Jesus Himself. Again, in this passage, it says the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Uh, Paul calls it the day when Christ comes to be marveled at among all who have believed. I love that phrase. Jesus Christ, he comes to be marveled at among all who have believed. Another translation says or when he, com- he, or, uh, when he comes to be regarded with wonder. Just like lightning flashes from the east to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Uh, what an awesome display of glory heaven will put on when Jesus comes. And so our hearts will be filled with awe, awestruck wonder. Isn't there a song that we sing that has that phrase? We, we will worship him with awestruck wonder. We will, be, we will be stunned by his glory, his beauty, his power and majesty. We will marvel At the sight of him like nothing we've ever seen in our lives. No mountain, no sunrise, no ocean, no Grand Canyon. Has ever inspired wonder and awe in anybody. Like the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ will inspire in those who love him. It's going to be a great day. Brothers and sisters, it really is. So what do we do with this? Now, how do we live in this in-between time? Number one, we rejoice. Paul commanded the Thessalonians in their affliction, in in their severe persecution, he said, rejoice. And he didn't just say rejoice, he said rejoice always. We have a Savior who has come. We have a Savior who will save us from the wrath to come. A Savior who will glorify us us in himself and will be glorified in us so rejoice our joy and celebration at Christmas I think should be as big as we can make it we should celebrate with mega joy great joy unrestrained joy but we should also also have at least that much joy maybe even more joy in anticipation looking forward to his coming again and this great day of glory. Second, we eagerly wait, or we, we wait with anticipation. We want this, we desire this, we long for this. Paul talked about those who love his appearing. And so with Paul, we ought to say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. That word Maranatha means come Lord Jesus. And so with Paul, we ought to say that. We ought to be saying that. Uh, The end of the book of Revelation says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Who's the bride? That's us, the church. The the spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the bride of Christ, the church of Christ is saying, come. That's our, that's our, our present disposition, come, Lord Jesus. Peter said, put all of your hope in the gracious salvation that will come.